0: This is The Week in Addiction Medicine, a podcast resource of timely news and top stories brought to you by the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, and I'm Claire Rasmussen. Our lead story this week, synthesizing evidence of the effects of COVID-19 regulatory changes on methadone treatment for opioid use disorder, is in the Lancet Public Health This review article examined methadone take-home dosing considerations during the COVID-19 pandemic. The review found no evidence of increased methadone overdose risk as a result of greater pandemic flexibility. Benefits of such policy include potentially improved treatment retention and impressive improvements in patient quality of life. Next is a study in JAMA Network titled State Cannabis Legalization and Cannabis Use Disorder in the U.S. Veterans Health Administration, 2005-2019. This observational study found that cannabis use disorder rates increased from 1.4% to 2.25% in states with no cannabis legalization and increased from 1.4% to 2.5% in states that legalized medical use and increased 1.4% to 2.56% in states that legalized recreational use. Although legalization contributed to increased cannabis use disorder rates, the role of the laws in these increases may not have been state-specific. A new study in the Journal of Addiction Medicine is titled Long-Term Effects of Increasing Buprenorphine Treatment-Seeking, Duration, and Capacity on Opioid Overdose Fatalities. This study used a validated stimulation model to project the effects of increasing buprenorphine treatment-seeking, average episode duration, and capacity on opioid overdose deaths in the U.S. from 2023 to 2033. Results show that increasing treatment duration alone could cost lives in the short term by reducing capacity for new admissions, yet save more lives in the long term. The most effective two-policy combination was increasing capacity and duration simultaneously, which would reduce opioid overdose deaths up to 18.6% over a decade. Next, we have a study in drug and alcohol dependence titled Association Between Clinical Measures of Unhealthy Alcohol Use and Subsequent Year Hospital Admissions in a Primary Care Population. The study found that those with Audit C of 7 or above completed the alcohol system checklist consisting of 11 items reflecting the DSM-5 criteria for alcohol use disorder. Of those with audit C less than 3, 3.7% were hospitalized in the following year, whereas those with audit C of 9-12 through 12 had a 12% hospitalization rate. Those with audit C of 7 or over in an alcohol system checklist indicating severe alcohol use disorder had a hospitalization rate of 14.6%. These screening tools can help to identify people with increased risk of adverse health outcomes related to alcohol use. A new study in Annals of Medicine is titled Adaptation of the Teleharm Reduction Intervention to Promote Initiation and Retention in Buprenorphine Treatment Among People Who Inject Drugs. This study evaluated a teleharm reduction intervention previously utilized to deliver HIV care in syringe service programs that was later adapted to deliver buprenorphine treatment in the same setting to patients with opioid use disorder. Overall, the authors found a 58.7% retention of patients at 90 days. In the logistic regression model, they found that patients who received at least one provider visit via telehealth were more likely to stay in treatment. The low-barrier care delivery model in harm reduction settings may serve as a model to increase uptake of buprenorphine in high-risk, vulnerable populations. The next study is in the American Journal of Psychiatry, titled Alcohol and the Etiology of Depression. Alcohol use has been associated with at least double the odds of depression, and cessation is associated with decreased depressive symptoms. In observational studies, the association follows a U-shaped pattern meaning abstinence and heavy use, are associated with higher odds of depression. There have been potential explanations for these findings, including potential positive effect on GABA or dopamine systems of low-level drinking, but the findings may also be due to the fact that a healthy social life could be protective for depression. Our next article, titled Association of the Chantix Recall with U.S. Prescribing of Varenicline and Other Medications for Nicotine Dependence, It's in JAMA Network Open. This cross-sectional study investigated the recall of varenicline in July 2021 in terms of available medications prescribed for nicotine dependence. Less than one month later, the FDA allowed distribution of the Canadian generic varenicline product. The number of patients prescribed varenicline decreased from 536 per 1 million in June 2021 to 146 per 1 million in August. The author suggests that changes in policy improve procedures surrounding medication recall. Our final article, titled Rigid Opiate Agonist Treatment Programs Risk Denying People Their Agency, is in BMC. This opinion piece notes that COVID led to a relaxation of strict medication for opioid use treatment policies. These policies are based on treatment providers' concerns such as diversion, misuse, and abstinence and leave people who use drugs little agency in their treatment. The authors argue that power needs to be shifted from clinics to clients to deliver patient-centered care. Clients should be allowed to take their medications at home and relieved of requirements for drug testing and abstinence. People who use drugs should not have to conform to rigid and arbitrary rules that would not be tolerated in other healthcare settings. This concludes today's episode of This Week in Addiction Medicine. Remember to subscribe to the ASAM Weekly for more exclusive content and our editor's commentary delivered every Tuesday. Be sure to check us out on social media and ASAM.org. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.